0: The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke chapter 2. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. After eight days had passed, it was time to circumcise the child. And he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. On Christmas Eve, we had um, what I think turned out, surprisingly to some of us, uh, to have some kind of meaningful fun. Be a, of all things a vocabulary lesson uh, featuring the word incarnation which we learned is built on a Latin word carnis, which means flesh or meat, as in, for example, carnal, which means of the flesh, or carnivorous, which means flesh or meat eating. Applied to Christmas, the word incarnation is the word which encapsulates for us the promise that in Bethlehem's manger was somehow, though those of us whose brains are only the size of our brains can't ever fully understand how somehow, somehow, surely, miraculously, lying in Bethlehem's manger was God incarnate, God in the flesh, God not as some kind of distant or heavenly Um, spiritual idea or ideal, but God rather literally as a presence in our midst. I'm hoping that today, and maybe I'm biting off more than I can chew, but I'm hoping that today we can have every bit as much um, surprising fun, Um, this time starting out with a vocabulary lesson, but rather, wait for it, a, um, a Christian liturgical calendar lesson. Are you ready? In the words of, uh, of St. Uh, Yoda, Pumped up I am. Uh, some fun let's have. <laughs> of course, in the word of St. Yoda's daughter, Dad, a dork you are. My eyes I roll. <clears throat> Be that as it may, here we go. Our secular calendar includes what are called holidays. Today, New Year's Day is one of them. Two weeks from tomorrow, MLK Jr. Day, is another. And then, of course, there's Groundhog Day and President's Day and Valentine's Day, and you can go through the year, so on and so forth. And some of those holidays are bigger deals than others, right, to a lot of us. And so some of them, we give almost no attention to them. Some of them, we give a great deal of attention to them. The Christian liturgical calendar, in similar fashion, but using different language, includes what are called not holidays, but Festivals. And some of those, also regarded as bigger deals than some others, are called, we Christians are clever, they're called major festivals. The three most major being, in order of appearance on the Christian calendar, Christmas, and Easter, and Pentecost. Christmas and Easter, of course, are both on both our secular and liturgical calendars, although, of course, the content varies dramatically depending on whose calendar is driving the narrative, right? In addition to those what are called major festivals in the church calendar, there are also what are called lesser festivals, a reference which isn't at all to diminish or disparage or disrespect them, but rather to respect that the three-pillar events through which were birthed and upon which are built the Christian Church are Christmas and Easter and Pentecost, because if you take those events away, there is no Christian Church. So yes, indeed, compared to those, all other festivals are deemed lesser. And so even though we are Lutherans, and we are as proud of that as Lutherans dare to allow themselves to be proud, October 31, Reformation Day, is a lesser festival. After all, without Christmas and Easter and Pentecost, there would have been no Christian church for Luther to reform, and no gospel for Luther to call the church back to. And so to November 1, All Saints Day is a lesser festival, not because we do not cherish it, oh my goodness, no, it's one of my favorite days of the year, but it is nevertheless a lesser festival because without Christmas, Easter, and Pentecost, we would know of no forever to entrust the saints eternally to, and they would have known no reason to live the lives they did, thus to inspire us the way they still do. And so to today, January 1, which rather handily and almost even perfectly falls on what our secular calendars call New Year's Day, is also on the church calendar a lesser festival. Not because it's New Year's Day. Remember, on the the church calendar, New Year's Day was five weeks ago on the first Sunday of Advent. And so the lesser festival the church calendar calls us to today is called rather the name of Jesus. That name given every year to January 1, because January 1 is the eighth day of Christmas. Okay, I know you want to fact check me. December 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 1. January 1, every year, the eighth day of Christmas. According to St. Luke, our gospel reading for today, it was on the eighth day, after the very first Christmas, when, per Jewish tradition, Mary and Joseph's baby boy was circumcised, which, although not stated explicitly, surely means, among other things, that this eighth day of Christmas was probably the first, although certainly not the last, time that being who he was, not in heaven but in the flesh, would involve bleeding and crying out in pain. When he was circumcised on the eighth day, says Luke, also per Jewish tradition, he was publicly and officially named Jesus, that name being the name that angels, an angel had told in separate occasions both Mary and Joseph was to be the name to name him with. It's a name that means Yahweh, the Lord, saves In Joseph's case, it was an unnamed angel who appeared to him in a dream after he had resolved to break the engagement with his betrothed, now pregnant with a son whom he knew was not his. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, the angel said to him in his dream, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Yahweh, which, the name Jesus, which means Yahweh saves, is in other words not just his name, but also the name of the mission of, of, and the purpose of his coming to earth in the flesh, to save his people, his people who are finally all people, from their sin. Accomplishing that, of course, he would one day again, but immeasurably more so, bleed and cry out in pain. The church calendar being the way it is and having the flexibility that it actually has, I actually could have chosen an entirely different set of texts for today. The text's not for January 1, the festival of the name of Jesus, which happens to fall on a Sunday this year, which why we chose it. The text rather for what is called the first Sunday after Christmas, which can be used no matter the date, on the Sunday after Christmas every year. This being year A, that being the year when the first gospel, Matthew's gospel, is our primary narrator... The texts which I also had the option of choosing today center on a part of the Christmas story only Matthew tells. That being the story of King Herod the Great, a powerful and paranoid and evil man. When he heard from the Magi that a king had been born, presumably according to the prophets in Bethlehem and Judea, but then didn't hear back from them about where exactly said king could be found in Bethlehem of Judea, ordered his soldiers to that old little town of Bethlehem with the orders to kill every boy baby in Bethlehem aged two or younger, thus in his paranoid and depraved mind to eliminate the threat of a king born there recently. Joseph, once again dreaming a dream featuring an angel talking to him, fled safely to Egypt with Mary and Jesus, his mantra apparently being the same as Jake Sully's in the Avatar movies, a father protects his family. In Egypt they lived as immigrant refugees until Herod died, At which point, says Matthew, they moved to Nazareth in Galilee, where Mary and Joseph raised their son. Other fathers and mothers in Bethlehem, of course, did not dream Joseph's dream. And so they did not flee with their little ones. And so then soon they couldn't protect their families. And so their baby boys, scholars estimate a dozen or two, given the known population of Bethlehem at the time, were killed. And once again, in the Christmas story, there is blood and tears. It's called the story of the slaughter, the carnage, actually, from the Latin word for flesh, of the innocents. Well, I chose not to preach on the story of the slaughter of the innocents this year. I have preached on it before, and I determined... I needed to at least draw our attention to it today. Because though it is a God-awful story, right there in the middle of the Christmas story, a story that I hate every time I read it, it's a story the Bible actually needs to tell in order to be as truthful as the Bible actually is, rather than being just another fairy tale about a world that is neither real nor true. Because the truth is that in this world, which is as real as it was in Herod's day and remains still in our day, it is still the innocents and those who love them, who most often pay the highest prices every time when the world's damned to hell sin boils over and the world's depraved and damned tyrants rage. Some like to suggest that the slaughter of the innocents never actually historically happened because it is not actually referenced in any independent history books, which is true, although I find that truth to be a comment more about the world than about the veracity of Scripture the comment being that the slaughter of a dozen or two innocent ones in a remote, far from the world's power center's place at the hands of power that is depraved doesn't just not make our history books, but rather, in Matthew's day and still today, it rarely even makes the evening news. Not because it doesn't happen, but because it happens too often and too out of our sight even to be regarded as news. Which is to say that if indeed the one named Jesus, meaning Yahweh saves, did indeed, as the angel said to Joseph, come to save the world from sin, he would have, literally, a hell of a lot of work to do. Because this world certainly and literally has a hell of a lot of sin we need saving from still. She takes us back to this lesser festival of the name of Jesus on this day when our secular calendars call New Year's Day. He was named Jesus. He is named Jesus, which means the Lord saves, which in Christ the Lord surely does. But it is nevertheless surely as clear as the stories our history books and news feeds tell still, not to mention the stories they don't even tell that the saving surely isn't completely done yet. Tyrants still rage, and sins still sin, and entirely too often the innocent still pay the highest price. Which on this lesser festival of the name of Jesus, which is also on our secular calendar New Year's Day, prompts me to remind you who by grace through faith are saved by Christ. You who are baptized into Christ, you who were named with his name, christened at the font, you who call yourselves Christians, to remind you that you are claimed and named by and you bear the name of Jesus too. Jesus, meaning Yahweh, the Lord, saves. Have you made any New Year's resolutions? Same 15 pounds I vowed to lose last year, I've resolved to lose again this year. The same healthier eating and drinking I vowed to do last year, I've resolved to do again this year. The same gym I resolved to visit more last year, I've resolved to visit more again this year. And so it goes, if you're me, quite possibly so it goes if you're you too. This being both the festival of the name of Jesus and New Year's Day, however, I invite you to make some other resolutions which are different from most of our regular resolutions. For whereas most of our resolutions are oftentimes about the bettering of us, these resolutions are about the bettering of God's world, which is to say that these resolutions are not about the name of us, but rather the name of Jesus. At work in the world still, to heal it, to help it, to keep on saving it from its sin until at last the saving is completely done. And doing so here and now in the flesh that is your flesh, your deeds, your words, for you baptized, christened, bear the name of Jesus and you doing what is yours to do for the healing, the loving, the saving of the world. Simultaneously lift high the name of Jesus. Amen.